0: Today on Sagittarian Matters, we talk about finding your creative voice and the business of making an art career with my guest, Lisa Congdon. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, What's the? Lisa Congdon is a Portland, Oregon illustrator, fine artist, and author. She's the author of many, many books, including, but not limited to, Art Inc., The Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist, Whatever You Are, Be a Good One, and most recently, Find Your Artistic Voice, The Essential Guide to Working Your Creative Magic. Lisa regularly teaches classes online about the business of creating and managing your art career, and she has a real-life brick-and-mortar store in North Portland where you can find her beautiful goods. What follows is a recording of my live in conversation in honor of her new book. We talked about finding your artistic voice, managing an art career, managing your time, and more. We were live at the last bookstore in Los Angeles, California, and this was produced live and in person by producer panzini linguini please enjoy hi lisa hi
1: how's it going it's going great yeah thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight in los angeles
0: It's my pleasure. Uh, Congratulations on your new book. Thank you. Finding Your Artistic Voice. And I'm excited to talk about that tonight. Yes. My first question for you, if you care to accept it, is, how did this book come about? Well,
1: um, a couple of different ways. For one, um, I've always, my path has been a little non-traditional. So I... Um, I've always sort of been interested in art my entire life and I think to a certain degree felt like a creative person but I never identified as an artist and so when I started making art almost 20 years ago now um, as a regular practice I never um, imagined that I could have a career at it or that I would ever get to the place where I had an identifiable voice as an artist and so Um, I started to think a lot in the last five years, and actually a lot of people were asking me also, like, how did you go from this person who has no formal artistic training, um, who kind of came from outside of the, you know, institution of the art world or whatever, and sort of found your way, like, how did that happen? So I became really interested in, in that, like, literally waking up in the morning and saying, like, how did I get here? And um, it seemed like people were asking me that, and I was also thinking about it because it's not always clear like how we develop as artists. And I've been on this speaking tour, and literally every audience that I talk to, and I've been mostly giving talks, sometimes having conversations, I'll ask everyone in the room, and it's oftentimes this is audiences of people who are um, self-identified designers or artists, right? And I'll say, how many of you feel like you've found your voice? And literally five people will raise their hand. And that's because we are often not sure or we're not, you know, like, or people are confused about whether or not they've arrived at this place. Um, so it's, I think, a question that a lot of people are confused by or a process that a lot of people are confused by. So I decided to research creativity and voice and think about my own personal journey, like how did I get here? I interviewed a lot of artists about their perspective on voice, both their own journey and, and maybe sort of their perspective on the process. And, um, and that's why I wrote the book. Um, I also had um, done a survey a, a handful of years ago like, with my audience, like what do you want to learn from me? And it was one of the top Responses like, how do I? Most people like um, um, equate voice with style, and so most of the, a lot of times people were asking like, how do I find my style?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, What's the difference?
1: Well, your voice is so much more than your style. Your style is a part of your voice that's important, but your voice is so much more than that. Um, it's like your point of view, your s- choice of subject matter, like. Your actual like story, which isn't necessarily what I don't mean like a linear retelling of your life. I mean like like all of the things that make you you come through in what you make. And so some of those, some of the time, that stuff is like really banal and boring. And sometimes it's very complex. And you know, and most of the time, it's like some combination of that. But um, one of the things that I figured out when I was researching the book was that it is that voice is so much more than than style it's it's like everything about you and how that comes through and what you choose to make
0: and as far as how to find your voice you interviewed a lot of people in this book and I there is a point where you kind of like it sort of boils down to it there were a few themes that kept coming up over and over and Mm -hmm. over again can you tell us what those themes are um is this a quiz it's a, I, I have the backup in case you, <laughs> oh, um, I got your back okay here's some themes
1: that I remember um, one is almost every person I interviewed almost every person talked about the importance of practice of like the discipline required to sort of get to this place where you're because part of what makes your voice is that you're doing certain things consistently and that doesn't just go for visual artists, that's like any, any creative person, whether you're a music, musician or a comedian or an actor, you know, or a writer, like, that your voice is, like, becomes your voice because it's, you know, this set of things or ways that you approach your work that are, that are very consistent. And so in order to get to some level of consistency, it requires sort of showing up and practicing something over and over so that it becomes part of how you do something. Um, I think that a lot of the people I interviewed also talked about having to sort of go through um, like the maze or like jump into the shark tank, that there's no way to sort of quickly, it's not this magical process that just happens, that you actually have to like, go through the discomfort of, um, I don't know, like, pain, and fear, and rejection, and experimentation, and insecurity, and vulnerability, and all of those things, like that you actually, and the sort of tedium of showing up and practicing things over and over until you kind of figure out who you are, or you get really good at your medium, or at drawing skills, you know, um, like one of the, I think one of the most interesting things in this process and there's like a little quote in the book by um uh ira glass this american life and he talks about like the beginner gap right and that when we decide we want to do a new creative endeavor whether it's like in the beginning of our you know creative path or anywhere along where we want to try something new our um idea of what we want to make is so far beyond our skill level, right? So there's this skill gap between where we are and where we want to go. And for a lot of people, um, they sit down and they have this idea in their head, like your taste is so much more developed than your skills, right? Um, And then um, you sit down to try to do the thing and it sucks. You know, you can't do what's in your head because that requires time and practice and discipline and all these things. Um, And for most people, that is so disappointing that they quit. Um, And so I think another thing that came out of the interviews was like um, this idea about grit, like this ability to show up in the discomfort um, and make a lot of shitty work in order to get to the place where um, your work isn't so shitty or where you realize that what you thought was shitty is actually not that shitty. I
0: don't know. Yeah, feels like uh, some themes are there's bravery that has to happen, mm-hmm. and then there's some faith that you're just like something's yeah. going to happen. Yeah,
1: eventually, if I keep doing this enough, I'll get somewhere with it.
0: I wonder, you know, so there's so many people that are like, I don't even know what my voice is, but how much of it do you think is acceptance? Because as I was reading this, and as I was listening to you do other interviews, and also you've been on my podcast, I was thinking about. You just you just are. Like I think that's sometimes nice. people think that they're gonna be born and then certain things are gonna happen and then all of a sudden they're gonna have a grip on like how they're different and their voice and what makes them unique and they're gonna be this really unique, cool person. But actually whoever you are, even if you're somebody who's like I'm a student and I am nervous. That's you, that's, that's right. you right now. You could make art about that exact that's experience. Right. It doesn't have to be that you're like, I sailed the seven seas Great. and swashbuckles. Like Great. it can yeah. be that I go to the grocery store every day and I have a crush on the meat guy, but that seems weird uh, cause I'm a vegetarian. Like those <laughs> little things from your life can be who you are. It can be part of your voice, but I wonder how much of it is accepting your voice enough to then put it on the paper and be like, ah,
1: Right, I mean, that tricks a certain amount of like, like I always say, like, there's so many people out there, especially I think women who are like, my story, I I mean, yes, maybe I have a story, but it's not interesting. And like, your angst about not being interesting is just actually your story. (laughs) Um, And it's what you choose to do with with that, you know. Um, And I do think that part of the reason when I go do public speaking and I ask audiences of, you know, 2,000 people, how many of you feel, you know, why only 10% of the people in the room raise their hand, and these are all professional creatives, is because they think that finding your voice is actually this other thing, Um, when they have already figured out who they are. Um, Because you are who you are from the beginning. In fact, your voice is always forming from the day you sit down to like draw or paint or make something for the first time it might become more developed and identifiable and all of those things over time. Um, But a lot of that also has to do with the fact that, especially in this day and age, um, what makes your work recognizable is also just your ability to put it out into the world, you know?
0: Yeah. I have a graphic novel that's about this extraordinary family secret. A psychic and my dad and someone was alive but I thought they were dead. And I didn't even think to tell that story. Someone else had to tell me I should tell that story. Right. Because I was busy drawing the day-to-day things, like I rode my bike to the coffee shop today. <laughs> Here's yes. what I bought from Trader Joe's. What a deal. That's what I was drawing. And someone was like, this family secret might have something to it. And I was like, if you say so. So, um, again, Although I have, I have to
1: say, Nicole, I, when I read your... Comics. I actually really like the pages that are just like tiny little one-page stories about going to the store. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, not that I don't like your longer start. No, please. You
0: know, it's all that's, good. That's what I was doing anyway, because I just had right. to draw and I had to get it out. That's right. And anyway. I can't remember where I was going with that. I was actually <laughs> going somewhere besides just telling you the plot of several of my books. Um, I want to know about your practice. Because you are, to me, a powerful Capricorn businesswoman. Thank you. You're welcome. You're a businesswoman. Like you can't you don't just get to like go into a field and just start painting and be like, I hope something happens with this and go home and a check comes from whoever gathered that painting from the meadow and sold it. Now, you actually are really good at emails, you're really good at merchandising, you're really good at books, but then you also still just have to have time and to I don't want to say dig around, but to just kind of fiddle faddle yeah. and see what comes. How do you schedule it all? How do you plan it? Well, I mean I think part of it is that by the
1: time... Well, a couple of things. By the time I figured out that this is really what I wanted to do with my life, I had a lot of work and life experience. And so I had already had jobs where being organized and managing my time was actually an expectation, which we don't often have of artists, by the way. So I learned all of these skills. And when I left my full-time job after... I mean. I left my job in 2007, I was 39 at the time, and I remember, like, I had, so that means I had been working for almost 20 years, I mean, not quite, you know, in, in a, you know, I was a classroom teacher, and I worked in a nonprofit organization, and I had, like, all these responsibilities, so I had, like, learned all of these skills around managing my time, and I'm also a Capricorn, so maybe some of that also just is, like, <laughs> in my blood and sort of how my brain works. Um, and so, I don't know, I feel like by the time I, I, I decided that I'm gonna do this professionally, I just transferred all of that to being an artist. Um, and also, by the time I left that job to make a lot of, to try to become a professional artist, I was like, you know, Eighteen years have passed since I graduated from college. Um, this is my second chance to do something that I really love, so I'm not going to waste a minute. Um, and you know that has its benefits. It also causes a lot of burnout. <laughs> so while I and I feel like I learned how to manage my time, and I do actually teach a class online about, about time management for creative people, which we won't get into. Um, Part of that I just made up and learned because it was, it became, in order for me to sort of manage my growing career, it became necessary, even more necessary than it was when I was working at the nonprofit organization and you know, was managing projects with you know, spreadsheets and everything. It became even more important because I was self-employed, I had no employees you know, in the beginning, and, um, and certainly my employees were not making art. You know, I was, that was all up to me. So I had to figure out a way to manage all of it. And I also just was so um, excited to be doing this thing that I actually really enjoyed and got a lot of personal satisfaction out of that I was motivated to stay organized and to stay up late and make work outside of, like, in the margins of my day um, whenever I had time. Um, But the flip side of that is that I'm tired. You know, I've been doing this for... 12 years now, and in the last five years, my career has really been super busy because I've had a lot of opportunities that I that I've said yes to, and I'm sort of conversely like um, burning out, you know. And I'm taking a sabbatical next year from client work and from writing and illustrating books because I I need to sort of slow down and figure out well, what is it that I like doing because I'm sometimes I don't I just I'm on autopilot like. Mm-hmm you know, oh, I have this book coming out. Let me plan a two-month book tour with 18 stops, you know, and finish three other books at the same time and while I'm on the road. And, like, you realize when you do those things, it's not really sustainable. So um, while I think being organized and having good time management as a creative person is great, I also don't advocate that you follow me as a role model for that because I, I put, you know what I mean? I, like... I do more than a person should, and I just actually, because I'm good at it doesn't mean you should do it.
0: My workaholic energy is like, sounds great. Tell me how to make more time today. I, <laughs> I know, I know,
1: I know, I I feel you. And and the funny thing is that like I'm taking the sabbatical next year, and and yet I'm already like planning all the things I'm going to do on my sabbatical. <laughs> like what? Oh, I'm going to learn animation. And, like I'm going to have a solo show. And I'm like, well, I have the solo show is planned, and that's like, you know, I'll be in my studio making work. But like, there's all these other things like and, I want to raise money for voting rights. And, you know, I'm like, I want to do all this stuff that I don't have time to do now. And, like, part of me is worried that I'm just going to fill up my schedule and it's not really going to feel like a sabbatical. It's going to feel like I'm just inventing new work for myself. And, yeah, I mean, there's something about setting your own deadlines versus answering to clients and having those external deadlines that are sort of different, and I know that will feel different. But I also want to just have time to like sleep in and read books I'm like a voracious reader and I still manage to read a lot of books even though I don't um, have very much time Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to read even more books and I feel like if you fill up your schedule with too much stuff you don't even how can you sustain like openness and creativity and I want to know what it feels like to be bored
0: brings up an interesting thing, which is, I want to know about your relationship to your phone and social media. Because you have a really nice connection with people who follow you. And at the same time, I also know that the phone doesn't give us the opportunity to be bored, which is where creativity comes in. That's when you get to actually channel and hear the voices in the ether. When I'm thinking about the president (laughs) and the new episode of a podcast and whatever I saw on Twitter, and whatever like, video of an art vark drinking milk. Like, whatever thing I just saw is not giving space for my brain to just spread out right. a little bit and get new ideas. Um, a cartoonist I like named Rutu Modan said, the iPhone is the enemy of the artist, for this exact reason. But so I wonder, how do you balance that, and how do you give yourself, I mean, I know that sometimes there's business times where you have to do business, and there's times when you have more time to relax and get into your practice. How do you incorporate those things with your social media presence and how much you show up on there? Yeah, and I think
1: that actually, I, I don't feel like I have a good balance on that now. And that's actually one thing I want to work on next year is having more boundaries around phone time. Because I can always, and those I'm sure many of you can relate to this, um, I only post at most, like I didn't put, make a, a post on Instagram today because I woke up with a slight sore throat and I was like, I don't, I'm tired, I don't, I'm not going to do this today. And I'm pretty good at giving myself permission to skip days or whatever, but for the most part I'm like one of those people who runs her business on, you know, on the phone, basically online. And i just launched some new iPhone cases the other day and I wanted to make sure I promoted them in stories. And a lot of times in stories I'm just reposting what other people post about me or whatever. So, um it's like a automatic pilot thing. And um, when you run your business on your phone, it gives you this permission to just be on your phone all of the time. And um, when I get deeply entrenched in an illustration project or personal work or writing, sometimes I put my phone down and my wife will be trying to get a hold of me for three hours and I don't have sound on my phone because I get very distracted by it. And so I also go through periods where I'm off my phone for a very long period of time um, and I'm, you know, not doing the scrolling. But that's usually because I'm working. So in in such a focused way, I could care less about what's going on on my phone. Um, And neither of those is actually, like, that's being off my phone, but I'm also not necessarily, I'm distracting myself with work versus phone. And so for me, I feel like the challenge right now, and I think the challenge for all of us is to think about when we are, you know, I saw this meme, it wasn't even a meme, it was just somebody I follow posted something yesterday that was like, um, something about before she picks up her phone, she's forcing herself to think, am I picking this up because I need to? Or is this, like, do I need to pick up my phone and scroll through? Or do I need to put the phone down and take a deep breath and just be in the present moment with whatever discomfort is causing me to grab the phone and scroll through, right? Yeah. Am I avoiding something? Am I? This is my way of dealing with anxiety? And I feel like as a culture, it's become this place where we, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody, like we, we go there as this way to sort of like distract ourselves. And, um, and that to me is um, you know, maybe I'm not on my phone for three or four hours at a time, but it's usually because I'm working. So if I'm not working and I'm not on my phone, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And how am I feeling? And what am I like? How is my experience of life? And that's what I want to f- discover. And I think that requires like <coughs> making really, um, really thinking about and enforcing boundaries around, around you know, media use and be, even being on the computer and answering email. And um, I uh, this summer. My wife and I went off the grid for a week. And so we had no cell phone reception. And it was the most, as you can imagine, it was very anxiety-producing for about 24 hours. And then it was like we relaxed into it, and we had the best experience. And we're like, we, we came back, and we're like, let's get a, let's buy a cabin in the woods where there's no cell phone reception and go there half the year. You know, we had all yeah. these plans. And, like, then we... Um, you know, read Marley Grace's book about, like, getting off your phone, and, like, um, you know, and we were, like, every night at six o'clock, we put our phones away, and we were just being, you know, we, for, like, literally three weeks.
0: That's really good. It was amazing.
1: But then what happens is, like, you slowly allow yourself back into normal, and then within two more weeks, we were back to the same old crap. Like, I told my best friend, who I text with a million times a day, um, Oh, by the way, we won't be texting after 6 o'clock anymore. <laughs> and then, like, that lasted a couple weeks, and then, like, it would be 7 o'clock, and I would start texting her, and she'd be like, it's 7 o'clock, so why are you texting me? Like, pointing out that I actually, you know, and I'd be like, well, Clay's not home right now, so it's okay that I'm texting you, because, you know, and that's how you, it just sort of all starts to unravel. So we did, we had this experience of trying to, like, have no media time, in order to be more creative and be more connected but it didn't last and so i'm game to try it again
0: today's episode is brought to you by elise miller robert daniel michelle lemoyne stephanie mackley jill pruitt anthony pinto shoshana ruth Wector, christy harrod jill soloway and mary pinson If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast.
1: Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too.
0: Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. Things from the book that stuck out to me. One was there was an emphasis on joy, and also separately, there was an emphasis on aside from joy, not getting hung up on trends. Right. So drawing or creating what actually sparks joy in you, what actually makes you feel happy. And I know that sounds, you know, you hear it and you're like, well duh, but I feel like, as an artist, I've internalized what does it mean to be an artist in my field? And this is the way you're supposed to draw, or this is the way you're supposed to do this or this. And so even if I'm like, I'm doing this because it's fun, it's art, I still, there's certain projects that I can think about, much like the phone, where I'm like, am I doing this project because it's actually making me feel alive and excited, or because I feel like I should be doing this project because this is my field. Right. There's, like, one of the
1: points, the final points in the book is, like, you are the boss of your work and how you make it. And I feel like one of the things that hinders artists the most is this fear of doing it wrong or, like, in your particular genre or, you know, whatever. Like, you're a comics artist. I'm an illustrator, whatever. Like, that, there's, like, this way we should be making art or the way we should be putting it into the world or what we should be making, right? And oftentimes that's stuff that's trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I, when I started out, I had an agent, and she was a great agent, but there was a real emphasis on um, making work that would sell, and she even teaches a class about that, and um, and I was it caused me all kinds of anxiety, and I remember one year, there was a webinar, and I, I love this woman, and she's changed the lives of many illustrators, um, so this is not meant to be disparaging, this was just where there was a disconnect between me and this kind of line of work where you're making stuff that's trendy, um, and I we had a webinar one year that was like about that year's trends. I mean, people spend time making guidebooks and videos for illustrators and licensing artists about like what's gonna sell, right, and what's trendy, and it was like llamas and gardening tools or whatever where like, some other thing that year butterflies and um i do actually like to draw butterflies but i remember just like making these repeat patterns that had like were for kids that were like had garden tools in them and i was like like this is not me i would never choose to draw this like, i felt so silly and that very same year i went to this licensing show in new york called um Sirtex and I remember just walking in and like being overwhelmed by the sea of sameness and Just like losing it and being like I don't if this is what it means to do this. I don't want to do this and then I talk about this experience in the book where I just like Decided, you know, I I, like calmed myself down and was like I'm I don't care if it means I'm not gonna be successful I'm gonna make the kind of work that I want to make and like search out my own inspiration, not, like, look at trend reports. And everything changed for me from that day forward. Like, not only did my career start to take off, but I started, you know, I think part of that was because I was making work that, that I was excited about and that was more coming from me and not from the outside um, demands or what I thought I should be doing. And um, everything changed from that day forward. Um, it still took me, a, I think, a while to really figure out who I was and what my voice was, but um, following... My own passions or joys or things that I thought were interesting, even if they weren't on trend, felt just felt better to me, and it ended up changing everything for me. So,
0: um, I just have a couple more questions before we throw it to the audience because I feel like they probably have a lot of really good questions that they're burning to ask you. <laughs> but I want to know, just in general, do you ha- what advice do you have for young artists? Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for old artists? <laughs> And you can take that either as new and, and people that have been around for a while or you can take it as a seven-year-old. I'm going to take it as, as literal and young and old. Okay, okay. So, because I
1: do think those are two different things. Yes. So, um, I think what I'm witnessing on the part of a lot of young people, like when I do residencies in elementary schools or I work with teenagers, is that there's a sense of um, wanting things to be immediate among younger folks. And having a creative practice, not even a creative career, but a creative practice requires an enormous amount of discipline and showing up and like being present with being uncomfortable and not having things go very well all of the time. Um, And I think, um, so I don't know if this is advice for young people, but for those uh, adults in the room who work with young people, helping students to sort of develop a sense of grit around hanging out during the uncomfortable parts of the creative process. You know, because around like third grade kids get really self-conscious, right? And they start hating their work and they start saying this is bad. They start comparing themselves to other kids. And, um, and that's a really uncomfortable thing for them. And so that's why a lot of children stop allowing themselves to be creative or to think openly about their potential. They start judging themselves and others. And so I think whatever we can do, and I think it's probably worse now because of social media and the immediacy of everything they want is right there for them all of the time. And so that worries me a lot. Um, Conversely, I think I was at this event, um, a book signing that I and a talk that I gave in Pittsburgh about a month and a half ago, and a woman raised her hand and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm your age, and I'm just getting, and I'm, you know, she, so she was in her early 50s, and she said, I'm just getting started, and I don't, and I'm really terrified about like, you know, about just starting out now, and like, w- but, I, but I feel like I have to do it. Like, what advice do you have for me? And my, my advice was really like, stop and understand that as an older person, you have more skill, more wisdom, more experience, more perspective, um, you have like more of an advantage, not a disadvantage, to building a creative practice. Um, because you understand what it means to sit through discomfort, and to, um, I feel like older people are more equipped in the end to like um, learn and grow creatively because they're more willing and more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, um, and I think it's an important thing for all of us to remember who are sort of starting over later or getting back into it later or feeling like, oh, eventually I'm gonna become irrelevant because I'm getting old. That actually your age is your strength, not your, not your, um, your you know, not what hinders you. And if we could all just remember that, I think the world would be a better place
0: what book do you wish someone else would write that you could read as an artist? Mm. I do think, for me, the
1: the book that I haven't found yet is um, something about, actually, what we were talking about earlier. Like, um, I mean, to a certain extent, Julia Cameron did this with the Artist way, but, like, maybe a more modern version of that. Like, how to have a more contemplative art practice, but also simultaneously, like understand that using technology to keep, you know, to maintain your career, the reality of that, but then also sort of balancing that with um, with with n- n- spending a considerable amount of time off of the technology. Like, I feel like that's the thing that I need to try to, to, to figure out. Like, for me, what's next is like having a more contemplative art practice where I'm spending a lot of time thinking about what I'm gonna make and not being so concerned with being productive. Like, I think productivity is like, it's killing us. And I'm, you know, I'm like a model for that, but it also bothers me. And I, that's something I really wanted. I'm proud of the fact that I'm prolific, but at the same time, I think there's a a way in which we like honor and prize busyness and productivity over, Contemplation and just sitting and being in the world, and that's something that I would love, especially for creative people, that I would love to read more about and understand better. Yeah,
0: great. Let's throw it to the audience. Um, yeah, I want to dive in a little bit more to what you're talking about, um, following trends or rather not following trends, but I know that you're also like huge proponent of like accepting that you have a lot of influences and that our influences make our voice. So no lot of sound those two especially if some of those influences do happen to be
1: trendy. And I and I just want to clarify that I'm not saying I don't follow trends. I'm saying that um, you don't want to follow something or make something just because it's trendy if it's not doesn't feel off like I hate the word authentic, but if it doesn't feel like something you would normally make, so I actually think that um, I love that question. Um, I think that um, having being attracted to things that are happening in the world, you know, whether they're trendy or not, is a normal part of how we walk through the world as creative people. Like we, we're surrounded by art and design and and constantly and our brain is processing all of it right as I like that I don't like that that's cool that's not cool I want to make stuff that's like that so whether it's a trend or whether it's just art that we see out in the world we're constantly processing all of that and I think what bothers me is that people often will say well I'm not influenced I own you know what I mean And I just think it's bullshit. Like, everybody is influenced, not necessarily by other artists um, directly, but like, we're influenced by things that we're taking in constantly. And um, I do think it's important to try to, you know, spend time away from your influences. Um, But when you are influenced, to be conscious about that feels important to me. Um, Especially if you're being influenced by other creative people, like, how can I take the big ideas behind like what is it about that artist's work that I really love? And is it how they render shapes? Is it how they use color? Is it how they compose things? Um, versus like relying on looking at your influence's work in order to make your own. It's a very different thing. And like taking influence and and actually also like having more than one influence so that you're like creating some kind of amalgam. Um, being influenced is just a normal healthy part of being an artist and even for somebody like me who has been making work now for a long time I feel like every now and again I'll see the work of somebody and my mind is blown because not just because I think it's amazing but because I want to make work like that and so I often am like processing like what is it about that work that I love um, and always asking that question and like also instead of just, I talk about this a little bit in the book, instead of just like pinning that artist's work into my you know, Pinterest board, like diving into that artist's story. Like how did they become, who, you know, who are their influences? And which opens up a whole new world of inspiration. You know, where do they get their inspiration? Um, Cause I feel like diving into your influences actually kind of dissipates them and blows them up a little bit. But if you hyper if you hyperfocus too much on one influence or whatever, um, there's more of a chance that you'll end up copying or whatever, which everybody does intentionally or unintentionally at some point. What
0: advice do you give? Obviously, having a regular practice of tapping into your creativity, but like, do you, do you think it's necessary to explore all the mediums that you feel curious about, or do you feel like you should? Focus on the one that
1: resonate with the most, and delve into delve into that. Because because I, I also feel like I get a little. I'm my around oh, I also feel like I get a little torn between like the paint, but then also wanting to explore um, how to translate that digitally. So I feel like I often I feel very polarized. In order to get really proficient in any medium, whether it's digital or paint or graphite or ink. It's just important to keep using it over and over and over. Like, you can't actually get good at a medium. I mean, there's some geniuses out in the world who pick something up for the first time that are really good at it, Like, but that's not your average person, so don't compare yourself to those people if you see YouTube videos or whatever. Most of the time, you pick up a medium and you have to sort of get used to that medium and you have to figure out how to use it. And um, so I do think it's important to focus on one for a period of time, and I like, personal challenges, right? Like give yourself parameters, like I'm gonna practice in this medium every day for 60 days. And I'm not gonna, if I, especially if you're in learning mode and you're not working professionally where you have to use other mediums, you know, I'm gonna just really focus on this. And then shift gears once you feel like you've, you've you've not necessarily mastered, but where you are either getting bored with or have, you know, feel some sense of accomplishment with that medium and then go to another one. But I think what's difficult for a lot of people is they switch constantly instead of giving focused practice to one medium. And so it's, I think it's great to learn as many mediums as you want, to use all of them, but focusing your practice for periods of time can be really helpful in, in developing your skill in the medium and then moving on to another one and then going back, and then eventually you'll weed some out because they aren't going to feel as satisfying to you. Um, but the more mediums you are good at, the better, right? Of course. I hope that I hope
0: that helps. It <laughs> sounds so fun to me because you can take some of the same skills from one to the other, oh, like painting to totally. digital. Like you can be, like, oh, I'm going to see what palettes appeal to me when I'm painting, and then I'm going to see whatever was successful there if I can translate it. Yeah. When I started future.
1: drawing on the iPad, I remember like the first week my my drawings looked like a first grader made them and it's because i hadn't sort of quite figured out how to find the right brushes and and how to like the pressure worked on the apple pencil but like literally within a month i you you could i was almost getting to the point where you couldn't tell the difference between because i was going doing it every day and so literally within a week i went from first grade to college well, you know yeah. no but that's only because I was already proficient in paint and pencil, and so it was just learning this new medium, it's exactly your point, that it transferred eventually once I understood how to use the tool.
0: If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. You were talking at the beginning about the your vision of the end product, your skill set at the beginning. I'm writing a book, and it's it's it, I'm at the very beginning, so I'm in all sorts of worlds of hurt. But one of them is this: <laughs> by the time I get this the sort of trendy thing I started, still be applicable.
1: Yeah, Nicole, you might want to talk about that. You might have things to say about that too. Like this idea, like, I know this project that I'm working on is going to take a really long time. By the time I'm done with it, is it still going to be relevant? Or am I even going to care about it anymore? You know, and I think when you're writing, it's especially true because writing takes so much longer than, and like, making a painting. Um, and I, again, I think that as long as the story still feels relevant to you and you're still excited about writing it, it's Rates. Right. Oh,
0: no. Okay. <laughs> what do you think about that, Nicole? You do that. I mean, I'm yeah, I right. did so much longer. <laughs> I didn't oh, no. repeat the
1: question either. I forgot.
0: Sorry. Well, I think you have to have a little bit of that fear, bravery, and faith. Like, so you have to be like, okay, I'm going to work on this, and it's possible the original thing in my head is not going to feel as relevant to me in two years. But other things will happen to you, and other bits of influence will come in over the course of time that you're making it. And so it may you may, have time, it may have the ability to grow or evolve as you grow and evolve. And then I feel like with every book I've ever done, I get to a point of working in a vacuum where I'm like, what is this? Is this even a book? This is so boring. Because especially if you're drawing or painting pieces of it, you're, I'm working on each panel for hours at a time. I'm like, who wants to read this panel for two hours? Well, they don't. They're going to read it for 10 seconds. So if I show it to somebody else, people I trust, they can reflect back that this actually is something about something and not just a painful, painful albatross, which is what it feels like sometimes. But I think, you know, for me, working on projects take multiple years, that I think the iron's hot right now. and I'm not sure if it'll still be hot in a couple years. I just have to trust that as I'm evolving and taking in new information, I can add that new information to my project.
1: Right, and you can even go back and revise the beginning part of the book. It's not like once it's done, it's done, right? Yeah.
0: But just so you know, I have that exact fear right now with the book that I'm doing because it has something to do with gender, and I'm like, oh, God, like what's, gender's not even going to exist in, like, three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, like, a, a relic, but it will just have come out then. <laughs> That's great. Do you have to manage any negative self-talk or something? Sometimes I sit down and do something, and I think it's going to be shitty. And if I think like that, it
1: probably will be The question is, do I have to like Manage negative self-talk? No, I Never <laughs> Every human being Manages self-talk, and if they don't They're a psychopath. so um, It's just part of being human, like We all sort of have doubts, or we all Question um, ourselves um, And we all Have insecurities and Fears, and I am no Different than that, and it is True that part of Um, people often say, oh, you do all these things and your careers move so fast and you try all these things, you must be fearless. And it's like the opposite. Actually, I have a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear. I just have gotten really good at like (coughs) plowing through it, um, or getting comfortable with feeling anxiety and not letting it stop me. So some of that is just that, um, which I think I've sort of, I've always been like that. Um. But I, I also think there is a certain amount of self-talk um, that I have to to engage in um, and understand that... I worked with a coach once years ago, and she one of the main things I learned from her was this idea that everything that I was telling myself was my own story. It wasn't reality. And so I have to remind myself that a lot when I get caught up in, like, I recognize that I'm telling myself a story about how something's going to go. Um, and... Especially if I'm having anxiety, because that's just future tripping, right? That's all anxiety is—it's fear about the future. And um, and so if I can recognize that in the present moment everything is fine, and that I'm you know I'm gonna I'm still gonna try this thing because I want to try it or I want to make this thing because I want to make it, um, I just have to sort of like release control and like loosen my grip, take a deep breath, and just do the thing and try to connect as much as I can with the joy around whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and why I'm doing it and let go of this like negative story. But it is constant work. It's every single day. Um, and some days are better than others, obviously. But I do think it's work we all have to do and that probably all of you as individuals do in your creative work at some point or another, if not every day, then at least a few times a week. How many routines or rituals around either like your day or making art or even the business part of it? Routines or rituals around making art or routine around my day. I mean I do sort of I'm a very routine person, which is why it's been really interesting for me to go on this book tour because I've been traveling and living in hotels and friends' bedrooms and things like that. And I'm a if you know me in Portland, you know like I get up every day and go to the gym and on every Saturday I ride my bicycle with my women's cycling team and like I eat dinner at 5.30 or 6 every night with my wife, and we buy our groceries every Sunday. So it's not that I necessarily have r- rituals or routines around making art, um, like I spin around three times before I start a painting or anything. It's more just that my I I um, feel freer creatively when I have to think less about all of the other things in my life so if I have a routine and things that are very predictable I find that it frees me up which is part of why managing my time in the way that I do is important to me because um, when I'm when other things in my life feel like a, have a sense, even if it's an illusion of control there's like this illusion of control or that I have this routine and every day I do the same things because so much in my life feels like um, I have to draw from this part of myself to be so creative that if certain parts of my life and day are routined and controlled and have rituals, then during those parts of my day where I have to draw from deep inside myself and come up with ideas and put things on paper, make things and create things, um, it just frees up space and energy for that. And so I do think routines um, and rituals are important. In in the to the extent that they set you up for, like, um, having the freedom to and space to like be creative. Um, so, like for example, part of this mythology mythology we have around creative people is that we're all really disorganized, right, and that we're all hot messes. And um, and s- while that may be true for a lot of people, um,
0: that might be true for men. Yeah, like some male creatives. Yeah. I don't or, know that many marginalized artists that are just like, wow, that get yeah. to run around and still get opportunities and still get praise. right.
1: It's like there's a very there's yeah there's this like myth that you know artists are scattered and disorganized and totally right brained and can't keep their shit together and um, and I think that part of what it, Like, having a creative brain might um, cause you to have a tendency to be disorganized, but actually trying to create organization and routine and ritual in your life that's consistent um, can help you sort of, like, manage your, you know, like, to be more productive. Because I think what gets in the way of a lot of people is that they're so overwhelmed by their own disorganization, if it does exist, that that's what causes people to not be productive, but most, you know, um, creatively productive, um, or to actually finish something or even start something. And so um, I feel like routine actually lends itself to creative productivity or creativity in general, which is really like this action, this engaged, actionable, like making in the world, you know. Versus just thinking about it and never doing it.
0: My routine, at wherever I am, is that I listen to the same playlist that's on an iPod that's struggling along because it's very old. And I have a smock. And as long as my playlist is on and my smock is on, I've clocked in. Right. And then my body knows, like, oh, it's time to do the thing now. Right. There's nothing else that can happen. If I take a break to have a snack, the smock comes off. And if
1: you follow Nicole on Instagram, she often posts um, pictures of her dancing with, with her dog. And often, nine times out of ten, she's wearing her smock
0: that's because we're sitting still for so long that then there's a lot of energy when we're done at the end of the day and we both are ready to let loose a little bit and listen to some more contemporary music yeah that's not from the old ipod (laughs) (laughs) um do we i think we have have time for one or two more questions which advice would you give for someone that wants to like do all the things like um you're like an illustrator writer um i'm asking because i'm
1: like you know,
0: so I'm curious about
1: that. The question is what do you do when you want to do all the things? Like
0: <laughs> Right,
1: illustrate, have a podcast. I mean, I think one thing to remember is that you it's never too late to start a new thing, but you also don't want to try to do all of them at once. So um, maybe st- take one or two things and try to develop those and I think we think like if I don't start a podcast tomorrow you know I'm never going to be able to start a podcast or like there's a sense of urgency around like trying something new that it, eventually it's going to be too late and I think that's it's not true like also you're going to get overwhelmed if you're trying to do too many things at once um, so you know sometimes the question is really practical, what am I going to make? What's going to pay my rent? Especially if you're trying to do something professionally, like, that might need to be your first priority. And the thing that you focus most of your energy on. And if, you know, the podcast is the thing that's going to pay your bills, then maybe that's where you put your energy. If it's, you know, your creative practice, then maybe that's where you put your energy. But it's kind of like finding your voice. It's like, once you've sort of nailed one aspect of your voice, you can really develop another. And I think it's you can sort of look at your career as a creative person in the same way, you know, once you've sort of got one aspect of your career down, you can then pursue another. Like I do all these things, but I didn't start off 12 years ago being like, you know, doing all these things. They kind of all happened incrementally when I was ready. And I think in our world today, we see, we have so much exposure online to all the, the ways that you can make a living as a creative person, which is really amazing right because you know what N- Nicole does is totally different than what I do and yet we both have these creative practices that you know allow us to you know do what we do and we, we fund them in different ways and we make different decisions. but there's and so when you see all of these possibilities it makes you feel like you should be doing all of them or maybe all of them seem exciting to you. Um, and you feel this sense of urgency to do them all and accomplish them all now, because then in a year it might be too late. And I think we all just need to take a deep breath and, rep- rep- and just be patient. Like it takes time to build a creative career. It takes time to get a podcast audience. It takes time to learn to do anything. And one thing at a time, go slow. You know, I was interviewing Elizabeth Gilbert in San Francisco, and there was a question from the audience this woman was like, I really wanna like um, you have a this woman who asked a question earlier was writing a book, has a baby, and so this woman was like, I I have toddlers and I, I feel like I don't have time to be creative and I don't have time to to finish this book that I wanna write. And Liz was like, you know, take a nap for the next you know raise your kid but then take a nap for three or four years because you work really really hard and you're exhausted because you have two toddlers don't try to write the book right now just the book will be if the book is meant to be it'll still be there when you have you know your child's in kindergarten and you've gotten some rest like essentially you don't have to do it now um, Give yourself some time, and I think we're, we live in this culture of now, and everything has to happen now or tomorrow or it's going to be too late because we're watching all these other people do these things, and it makes us feel inferior because we're not doing them at the same rate. And I think that's dangerous. So be patient with yourself. Take your time. You can do all those things. You just can't do them all at once. So
0: I think that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa.